Welcome in, everybody, to the Be Freaking Awesome podcast. I'm your host, Josh Belfer, joined, as usual, by my mom, Angel Belfer, and also joined again by another guest, Dr. Kathy Hallway. She'll be joining us to talk about a little bit of things. Being a doctor, I'm sure she knows a lot of stuff, so always a good person to try to learn stuff from. But as usual, we're going to start with a question. So the question we're starting with today is, would you rather be an expert at one thing or pretty good at many things. So Dr. Kathy, do you want to take that one first? Sure. Well, I think over the 40 years I've been in business here, there's a drive to be an expert, okay, at one thing. But if you pause and slide in and lean back and really feel it, what that one direction of expertise is revealing is some deeper core of interest and creativity that is yours that only you can bring to this world. And so what I've learned over 43 years of practice in the medical field and in many other fields is that creativity from this deep source within you can manifest in many different directions. So you can be an expert in more than one thing at once and flourish in that way. Dang, that was good philosophical. I kind of want to pause a second and go like, hmm, I'm going <laughs> to catch your breath. It's okay. <laughs> I know. I find myself in here like going, oh, 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 Dr. Kathy's here with me. You have to keep pausing and breathing because <laughs> that's what I'm accustomed <laughs> to when I'm in an appointment with Dr. Kathy. <laughs> I don't think of myself as an expert at all. And I'm good with that. However, in light of what Dr. Kathy just said, I would say that the field that I have spent 25 years in learning and research is personal development. Well, even my degree, my original bachelor's degree is marketing, which I joke and say is psychology for business and how the brain works, people's motivation. Those of you that are regular listeners know that I come from a pretty tumultuous childhood. I used to say tragic. It's not that tragic. It's just tumultuous. And so I've always been insanely curious about how people that have a difficult childhood, some people use it as the fire and the the fuel to make their life better and improve. And then other people can't seem to get out of the cycle of poverty and dysfunction and alcoholism. And so that thing that makes them, makes people different is so curious to me. And so I think I've just always been on this quest. What did I learn? What did I experience? How did I do this? And can I teach others? I think I was in second grade when, you know, they ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it's a teacher. And it was probably about 10 years ago that I went, oh crap, I actually am a teacher. I just not in the traditional sense. So how people's brain were, so I've probably been curious for a long, long time. I've been a leader for my aunt when I was growing up, he used to call me an instigator. And I remember getting to be an adult. And I said, I didn't know you were affirming my leadership skills because you made it sound like a bad thing that I was the instigator. Anyway, I don't think she really was trying to affirm anything at the time, but I used to drive her crazy. Anyway, so that's probably mine. So I would say not an expert in any one field. And yet there is a sort of area that I've always been 
fascinated by and that probably many people, if they say you study it for five years, then, you know, 10,000 hours, I've definitely devoted 10,000 hours to it, but I feel like I'm an expert. I feel like I'm a, a student of the work. Josh, what about you? Expert? Good at a lot of things. I think that I'd rather be good at a lot of things. I also think that you guys slightly missed the question. It's not what you are, because you guys both talked a lot about what you are, because I think you guys both are probably experts in things. So maybe it's a little different because I don't feel like I'm an expert in anything. And I know even you said that, Angel, you don't feel like you're an expert in anything, but I think you guys are probably both just being a little humble. I'm also only 24, so I don't know if I've had the time to be an expert at anything. My prefrontal cortex, according to Angela, is not fully formed. So <laughs> that being said, maybe I just have a different perspective, but I think you guys kind of cheated. So uh, <laughs> no big deal. Well, that's okay. You're the one that, you know, softballed the question to us. So <laughs> moving on, Dr. Kathy, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm a doctor of physical therapy. I've been a PT for 43 years, and uh, it was not my original goal to go towards medicine. I was multilingual in grade school. I was an artist. I was a poet. I was a creator. I created all kinds of artwork things. And back in those days, in the 1970s, girls were going to college to get their MRS degree to find their husbands. <laughs> So I was profoundly pointed in that direction uh, because then that would lead to that outcome. And of course, being me, I took it totally in a different way. And as a PT, what I found was first was the importance of connecting with people. And then was the importance of like figuring out how they were organized inside. You know, my dad was a world famous engineer and I got that part of it from him. How's this body brain wiring thing working? And how do we help it when it's gotten jammed up or confused or something? And I knew this directly from my own experience. I had one brain injury at birth. I had a second one at age 22 that started me having seizures. And so trying to unravel that confusion in my own brain gave me a different way of, of listening, of understanding from the inside out what happens when things go awry in there. And then what happens when everything reorganizes and you're back in the world, how to make sense of it. So that that's kind of the general path. Um, it was 1998, when I stepped away from everybody else's rules about how I should be doing my work and started my own business and created my own neuroscience-based hands-on therapy work to help people reconnect and reorganize and bring the best of themselves here to this world. That's awesome. Congrats on taking that step, stepping away. I think that would be 24 years ago ish now. So yep. that's awesome. Yep. Angela, how did you two meet and how is it related to what we're going to learn today? I find the synchronicity of life beautiful and amazing. So in October of 2016, I was determined I was going to finish this 
book and I was writing my first book, Be Freaking Awesome. And I literally was like, I am going to finish this book before the plane lands. Literally this morning I woke up with my current book and said, I need to land the plane. But in 2016, I was like, before the plane lands in Denver, I will finish this book. I was flying to a conference in Denver and they said, tray tables up. And I said, book done. And then I went to the conference and I walk up to the bar and the very first person I met was Dr. Kathy. And I said, Dr. Kathy, what do you do? Because back then I still asked it like that. No longer do I ask it like that. Now I ask it like, how do you spend your days? And she said, I help people rewire their brain. And I was like, oh my gosh, we have to be friends. We have to be friends right now. So that was middle of October, 2016. For those of you that have read Be Freaking Awesome, you know that I was on a journey that year. I was running 5Ks every month and I was determined to run a 5K, my 12th one in Florida. It all worked out beautifully. And I was able to run my 12th 5k and schedule an appointment with Dr. Kathy (laughs) because I found a a thing in Florida, in Jupiter, Florida, which was very close to where she was so that I could go and experience what does this mean to rewire your brain back then. What's ironic is that here I am while, when we're recording this podcast, it will publish in a few weeks, but when I'm recording it, my book is due to my editor by Friday. And so I love the synchronicity. I'm finishing my second book. And I'm also getting reconnected with Dr. Kathy. Weirdly, we reconnected. That first conference was a digital marketing conference. And we reconnected just last week. Not reconnected because we've had a couple of sessions <laughs> thanks to Zoom since then. But we we chatted again uh, because of another digital marketing. So we have dual interest in brain and then how to market digitally. And so today we are, I wanted to have Dr. Kathy on to talk more in depth about how your your body brain organizes and and sort of how she actually I think was was instrumental in me focusing on the effort that I'm in and I didn't even see it at the time it's a very ruby slippers moment for me because when I say I just figured this stuff out last October and November and I go oh or I was introduced to it in 2016, and I just wasn't ready for the depth of knowledge that I have now. So it's beautiful. And so we're going to talk about that. And for those people listening, what exactly, Dr. Kathy, does it mean to rewire your brain? What does that mean? Thank you, Angela. What it means is that from a deep understanding of how our nervous system is wired to work between body and brain. We look for the places where we look for the patterns of clench, basically. When a patient comes in with a complaint about, you know, pain or vertigo or an issue or something's not working right, we look at, my first look is it like, wow, okay, how clenched are they in their stress drive? because that is a huge driver of dysregulation in your brain circuitry that's trying to make sense of you and your body and you out there in the world. And so there's the internal process as you navigate the external world. And so when we rewire, you know, it starts with the simplest piece of inhale and feel your belly expand and exhale and let it soften and feel how you 
belly breathe. Feel your presence through your breath first and feel how that opens up the coherence of you underneath the old clench patterns. So rewiring body brain means from that unclenched, coherent flow, you can be curious about, huh, in the past when I would try to do this, you'd get all clenched and I couldn't do it. And now I know if I pause and slide in and feel my soft breath and I know I'm here, oh, I can handle that task this way. I can move my right hand this way. So rewiring the brain means learning to be present within yourself in an embodied way so that your body and brain can smooth it out and get you in a better mischief. You have a quote on your website that says, when we feel safe in our bodies, we can move safely in the world. Does this, what you're talking about rewiring, is that lead to the safety in your bodies? Yes. Yes. And Here's the thing, you know, safety in your body. I mean, uh, when we arrive here and we take our first breath, we're either, you know, securely held so we can get organized in here while we figure out the world out there, or we not. A lot of folks don't land in a secure place out there. And, you know, we're babies and we're not even breathing right yet. You don't, and you don't know what you don't know. Okay. If you've been clenched and your whole life, This is crazy talk that, you know, I'm telling you, take a belly breath and feel it. And that matters. Yes. When you start the belly breath and feel how you are embodied here, that brings a sense of security that then can guide you in navigating the world. So this isn't quite fully related to exactly what you just said, but kind of is. So whenever I think of physical therapists, which is what I believe you said that you did, and I know you said you stepped away from traditional, traditional ways 24 years ago. And so whenever I think of physical therapist, I think a lot about, I just recently uh, have recovered from a torn ACL and I went to a lot of physical therapy, a lot of strength, things like, things like that. And maybe I should have been doing some kinds of breathing or something along those lines, but I wasn't, it was mostly strengthening, testing things out, easing back into things, just knowledge that I wouldn't have quite myself of how to rehab it rather than something else. And so how does um, the breathing that you're talking about kind of, it might not relate to maybe rehabbing for knee surgery at all, but how would you kind of try to explain how what you were just saying kind of would connect to a traditional physical therapist? And maybe the answer is it doesn't connect at all. Oh, it should be connecting. Okay, great question. Okay, because you don't fix a body by the mechanics of it alone. And so if we want to get really gronky about the wiring, you rip, tear your ACL, you need surgery, there's trauma in your knee. And guess what? Your knee now through the nervous system trying to signal up to your brain, hey, help me, runs into a bunch of obstacles. All right. And in your spinal cord at one circuit level, your spinal cord says that knee thing. No, he's in trouble. Forget it. We're not. No, we don't know how to make him move anymore. And then those signals never get to the brain. And the brain's like, I don't know what's going on down there. You know, good luck with that. Right. 
And so we have to slide in in a little different way to wake up the circuitry locally from knee to lumbar spine and then centrally up in the brain. So when you are belly breathing, you are doing all of that. You're feeling your belly expand, getting your tummy girdling and oh, the size sign, that's all in your belly. And that talks to your spinal cord and that tells your spinal cord, oh, what? We That knee needs our help. We have to connect and figure out how to move that leg again. And those same respiratory regulating signals go up to the brainstem. And if your brain knows it's breathing with your body, it opens up the motor pathways from your legs all the way up to the maps up here and says, oh, all right, now we know where you are. Let's figure this out together. So the simple, deceptively simple, let's start with the belly breathing, helps your leg find its connection to your brain and body. And then they can work as a team to get you moving in the most logical way possible for you. Okay, I'm going to pause because I think I understand breath. And I just like, so... What you're saying is that breathing helps connect different systems because of your body. So nervous system and circulation and visceral and muscular and really. Okay. I've been nerding out on breathing lately, this book on breath. (laughs) And, And so this is new. I think this is not known in our culture. That's right. That's right. It is not known in our culture. Okay. Because in our culture, the whole breath thing is either mysticized into, oh, just breathe and you'll be fine out here in the ethers. Nobody is getting it how it really is the root of whether all our systems can come online or not in our embodiment, in our somatic container. Because breath gives oxygen to the circulation and breath. I'm just trying to figure out how this works. (laughs) In your brainstem circuit board, your respiratory circuits are like running your whole life. Okay. And if that circuit board is clenched, we don't know if it's safe to breathe or not. We only know how to breathe when we're clenched and nobody move that, that overdrive in that circuit board has the potential to block the communication of your musculoskeletal system to your brain. It has the potential to impact how your body can organize to move. So aside from what Angela is trying to figure out, because I think she's still trying to understand, I'm not quite, I'm, I'm just going to repeat what I think you said in terms that I would understand just slightly better. Um, but I'm also looking at it from a different lens. So whenever I was going through this rehab, like I was saying, um, they would say a lot of those things. Like whenever I was first moving, jogging, doing high knees, the strength coach was saying like, you have to re-get used to doing that because your knee hasn't, hasn't done that in a while. And as well, that exact muscle in your knee that was replaced has not ever done that. And your knee has to get reused to it. And as well, your, your brain is going to be protecting it. 
Now we didn't focus on the brain side of the things. We focused on the movement side of things where, okay, you kind of like slowly ease into it, slowly ease into it. Now push a little more, push a little more, that kind of idea. We went on like the physical body movement. So you would be focusing more on the brain side of it, which is still being focused on, but, or it's still being addressed with what I was being taught, but not as directly. It was kind of just, you have to get past your brain not letting you move and you're saying let's make your brain let you move would you say that's about right yes yes there's two parts to it a can your lumbar spinal cord unclench enough to realize you got a leg you got to move now and learn what that is and then that signal goes up to your brain and your brain says wait what he has a leg there okay all right how are we going to connect to that And, you know, there's a lot of sneaky, curious ways to get your brain online with what your body's doing. There's the, you know, the recognized slides, there's mirror therapy, you know, and and I remember going through that. I had a lot of right hand issues from my birth brain damage where my brain didn't know where my right hand was. And I remember sitting as a five-year-old trying to learn how to tie my shoes, looking at this hand going, I'm supposed to make you do what? How are we going to tie our shoes before we get yelled at for the next five years? You know, <laughs> um, and so if in something like mirror therapy, Josh, if you sat and put a mirror so it showed your unaffected leg, okay, and now what you see in the mirror is two perfect legs, two uninjured legs, and your brain goes, "Oh, wait, that's what we're supposed to be connecting to." that softness that the breath allows, that curiosity, that rewiring of like, oh, okay, I yeah, I know who you are now. Now let's move and make this real. You know, so it's two levels. It's locally, leg to low back, but then it's centrally up here. And that's where, you know, your lifetime of, am I breathing or not? Are these circuits open, facilitates or empowers your rehabilitation and reconnection to that leg. So the question I would have from that is I didn't, I wouldn't say it was called mirror therapy, but I did oftentimes when I was doing workouts, especially like weight workouts, what at whatever level of weight um, I would have to do it in front of a mirror and they wanted me to do it in front of a mirror. Now, most gyms have that anyways, but they wanted me to do that. So I could see when I was favoring one side or the other. So I think they were, I don't, but it doesn't sound like that's what you're necessarily saying. Cause, cause I would go down no. and do a squat. No. And when I would go up, I would be slanted away from my leg. Cause I'd be un, unknowingly, yeah. if my eyes were closed and I saw a video of it, I would be pushing up more on my left leg. Cause I tore my right ACL, mm-hmm. but I would do that in front of a mirror to see, so I could fix it. And I would, and then they would be, they would say other things to try to get me to focus more on centralizing it. Right. It doesn't sound like that's what you're saying, but it is. No. Well, it's, it's, it's hoping it'll have a similar kind of effect. Okay. However, it's totally missing this embodiment engagement um, process. So, you know, uh, it's not about what you see in the mirror. It's about, Ooh, when I stand here and belly breathe and unclench my butt, yeah, I can feel both feet on the floor. And now if I do a soft squat, I can feel both knees able to do my soft squat. And now if I do something more rigorous, uh, oh, 
okay, here, then this one knows how to do it. And this one's not sure yet. You feel it from the inside. And that's what, that's what starts the rewiring process. I think, I think at this point, my, my knee is pretty, I wouldn't say it's fully there, but it's probably about 98% there. And so just commenting to the listeners, I'm not trying to get my own myself a free session right now. I'm just trying to make it so that you guys can understand <laughs> off the questions I'm asking to understand a little more uh, about what she's yep, saying. Yep. Um, yep. Have you been cleared from yep. your surgeon yet? Uh, yes. I got, okay. Yeah, I, You're at six months. I'm at almost nine months. It's been over eight months. That's for sure. I think I'm two weeks from oh, okay. less, right at around two weeks from nine months. So I guess that would be a cool little update. This is going to be a little away from Dr. Kathy, but I've been playing soccer again. Um, you guys have been with me for most of the ride because you guys, we started this podcast probably two months after I tore my, after surgery. So I have been playing soccer again and my mother does not know this, but I actually played in the championship of the co-ed league that I actually tore my ACL playing in. I played in the championship as my first game back uh, this past Monday and I scored a goal. So good job. The reason why he doesn't tell his mother is because his mother does pays his medical co-pay still. <laughs> well, did. Oh, oh. He was still in college when he tore his ACL. <laughs> so that's why he is not telling well, his mother because she would have liked to well, have seen that... her good play in soccer and still loves to come and visit <laughs> when you play soccer anyway. Well, good, good, good getting so, back to it. Matters I know it's been a lot of work for you too, yeah. though. Like it, it's, it's a lot of diligence on right. just following through on all of that, but you had a goal of getting to be able to go back to play right. soccer. So good job. Thank you. And that's where I go back to the 98%. Like I, I didn't play a ton of hard defense or anything like that. A lot of guarding space. Cause I didn't want to have t- too much contact. So there was, I barely touched anyone while playing, but yeah, besides the point, that's a little update. Now we'll go back to Dr. Kathy, the uh, expert in multiple things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> how, how can someone begin to become aware that they are clenched? Well, it, you know, for a lot of folks, um, it starts with, uh, can you inhale, breathe in and feel your tummy push out? Okay. And for a lot of folks, that's the what? What? It's supposed to work like that? I'm supposed to breathe like this. No. Okay. So sometimes we just start with one simple breath, feel that. And then if we're doing work at the table or on Zoom, then oh, other things start to relax. And then the body takes over to show you that that soft breath is still in there. So there's the cortical cognitive engagement. Okay, let's practice this rhythm of inhale and your belly expands and exhale and everything softens in. Um, And that wakes up what's going on inside with your nervous system and its whole conversation with your body. And then that feeds it, that nurtures it. And you learn to learn the signals. Oh, there's my gurgle. There's my, oh, sigh sign. Oh, you made me drool. Okay, so we start very simply and kind of find the dance, find the rhythm. So chronic pain, 
if someone someone that's in chronic pain, we probably don't have to tell them that they're clenched, <laughs> right? They probably they maybe notice that they're clenched. And I was reading some of your your work about chronic pain and what is actually typically happening in chronic. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? What is probably happening with chronic pain? Right. In a chronic pain situation, you know, there's usually the last precipitating incident, you know, the ACL tear or the car accident or the headbang or whatever is um, then everybody tries to attribute your chronic pain situation to the last thing that happened to you. But uh uh-uh, no. How, what other injuries have you sustained prior to that? How has your nervous system been patterned to run your body from your whole lifetime of experiences? And then, then, then where do we go with that? So, you know, I'm assessing the nervous system beneath your stories about what's going on. All right. So the young man who comes to see me with chronic tinnitus, tinnitus, okay, the, the buzzing in his ears, I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not this. It wasn't that. That just triggered it. Yeah, your COVID shot, whatever. But no, it's like, oh, wait, when I was 11 playing soccer and I did a header and I had a concussion and knocked out. Okay. Let's talk about that, because since that original incident, your brain learned, wow, we can't figure out anything unless we are clenched so tight up here and not breathing anywhere in that body. Okay, run your life from this clench now. And okay, let's go address that. Let's start at the root of it. So I would have a question kind of following that up. And I'm going to use myself as an example again, because I'm able to, but I think I do try to ask questions that other people I think would ask as well. So the example would be a few years ago, I got ran over by a car and I didn't sustain very many injuries um, except for my shoulder where it impacted, but my shoulder, like it doesn't affect me now. I don't see any way that that affects me now. So I would have two questions with that story. The first one, kind of with what you're saying, is there a chance that there's something like that, like you were just saying, that might arise later that I wouldn't even know is happening right now from that? Yes. I was going to say, I would, I would, I will be surprised if you have, I will be surprised if you have lingering things, because I happen to know that at that point in your life, you were very grounded you had a, a strong spiritual walk at that time. You were very mentally strong. You were like feel like you had a better sense of who you were in the world. And so I've used that as an example of there was an injury because he didn't. I have a theory that a lot of physical physical injury and physical pain is when we don't address our emotional issues. And so from my perspective, you may have issues at some point, but you may not because there were no emotions that were unresolved at that moment. So anyway, that's my own little like anecdotal uh, thought on that potential. Right. Yeah. Well, that's one aspect of it, Angela, of course. And, you know, uh, for my curiosity, what I would say was, huh, shoulder injury. Okay. And um, how's your jaw been? How's your mouth been? How's the spin? in a protective pattern. 
okay? Because the most insidious clench we've got in this body happens through the throat where you have a sympathetic stress drive nodes. And so, bam, impact here, what just happened? And, you know, has that smooth through? Is that soft and open? Does your breaths know how to get past the, the clench of let's protect that shoulder all over here? So, um, you know, and just seeing now, it's like, mm-hmm, okay. So, you know, 10 years from now, what your dental stuff, what your this, that, the other, your neck. No, it's not your neck's fault. Okay. There was impact. Yeah, it was mechanical. And the nervous system response was clench and hold him safe. We're not sure. And did that totally resolve to allow full, you know, fluidity, okay, from belly breath, brainstem, you know, that lets your body move. Your body moves from that soft place. Yeah. So you never know. I mean, we don't know until we, we go, I'm a detective, you know, this <laughs> is what I am <laughs> to figure it out. And one quick little story related to that, a lady came to see me one time years ago and she was having anxiety and, you know, her parents are getting older, her kids are growing up. She's in the sandwich generation, anxiety, and I'm working with her and ain't nobody home here. I We can't even feel one belly breath. And wow, what stories are working here? What's going on? So I back up through her life. And finally, I got to, so when you were a a little one, you know, your birth went okay, and you were uh, uh, an anxious toddler, a happy toddler, a peaceful toddler. And she said, it was all fine, except for that one time, except for that one time, except for that one time when I drowned in the creek when I was three. And I remember them pulling me out and pumping the water out of my chest. All right. Hello. Okay. <laughs> Does her brainstem believe she's alive and breathing? Not necessarily. <laughs> okay. So there's her respiratory circuits going. We don't know what just happened. We don't even know if you're still breathing, but we're going to do it like this for the rest of your life now until you find Dr. Kathy. But um, so that and that. That just, you know, was the big anxiety driver through these other, through the whole path of her life. So you got to be a good detective. You got to listen from the inside and feel from the breath and the body will start telling you its stories so you can support it and help it let go of what it doesn't need to clench about anymore and find the true story that's been moving you through your life in there. That was awesome. My second question would be, do you ever address just the wiring that needs to happen when it's not connected to a physical sense? And my example of this would be the, I think that the only things that I still see in my life from getting run over doesn't happen too often, but I'll get a little shot of adrenaline or anxiety, I would assume it's adrenaline, maybe it's something like that. Whenever I find myself in a similar sense of I'm going down a road and there's a car that's wanting to turn left in front of me, whether I'm in a car, it's only happened on a longboard a few more times, but that's not necessarily a physical, well, it's still a a trigger thing, but yeah, it's still a trigger. Yeah. Right. So would that be something you address? Absolutely. And here's the 
the root of the work that I do. You find your breath in a, everybody. We start the same place. Find a quiet corner. Spend five minutes with me on a Zoom video to help you land and soften. And when you know more, more, more fully this embodied peacefulness in you, that helps you recognize the triggers that are out there. All right, that might make you clench. You know the trigger, Josh. It's when you're on a road and it's this setup and somebody's doing that. So the options for dealing with that are like in the past, since that accident, every time I see this, I clench up. Now I know if I'm driving and I'm stopped at a red light, I can take a belly breath. Now I'm learning how to be alert from this softer breathing place in me so that those triggers don't trigger me anymore. For you go from reacting to responding and you find a new story for it. So you can reassure yourself that, yeah, this works. So there's the, I mean, that's the basic layout of it. You start in a quiet corner of getting familiar with what that feels like in you. And then you recognize the triggers and then you realize, wait a minute, I can breathe and drive at the same time. Mm -hmm. Good job, which will then oh, make you less reactive to old trigger patterns and more present to, you know, the peacefulness to the security of you right here now. Nice. I think that Thank you answered my question In pretty well. Beginning to work with people to teach them how to feel their feelings. I find that some people are resistant to even knowing themselves. So they sign up with me as a coach. Right now I'm working with life coaches that are new and I'm teaching them about branding and every step of the process we're putting in scenarios where they have to imagine they're going to be in this very triggering situation. So we can see what their body will do kind of like Josh driving. We will see what their body will do and and then begin to notice those feelings. And I find some people very resistant to knowing themselves. One of my clients, when I said, so where does that show up in your body? I don't know. 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 And I'm like, okay, okay, well, let's, let's start scan. And, and they like, will push back hard, which is entertaining on zoom for them to like, like sit back in their chair and put, why is it that people are resistant to knowing themselves are nervous about like, I don't, I don't even can't even get into my body to figure out what's going on with it. What's, what's your experience with that? Well, uh, that's a very long cultural story, isn't it? In so many of our, our tribal containers, we were taught to organize to the stories of people around us. We were taught and identified by the stories that people projected on us and it became a real cognitive clench, a cortical clench. And you had to navigate the world from, wow, am I doing this right? Or am I going to get in trouble again? All right. And to be honest about it, I mean, a lot of what went on in my tribal container was uh, a parental voice saying, I don't care how you feel. Smile nice for company. All right. So culturally, we are taught to identify to that which is out there, which has what really insidious process to us. It invalidates who we are in here. 
So where has it ever been modeled for us that we can come in and feel our own breath, which then leads to who I am here in my way, which leads to this is what's important to me. I am here, you know, and that's a whole new landscape for unfortunately way too many of us out there in the world. And so what body, when your brain is in that clench, there's no body, what body? How do you connect to that? When I was having seizures and my brain was on fire, ain't no body there. And even after the seizures stopped, what? Feel my own belly breath, feel your hand trying to work on my shoulder, what? I have no idea what that means. And one, one, one therapist that was trading sessions with me as we learned, she said, you know, come into your body. If you don't come into your body, I'm not going to work with you anymore. And I was like, what are you talking about? That's rude. Okay. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Why would I want to feel anything in my body? There's only been trauma. There's only been pain. There's only been terror. Why would I want to do that? So we have to understand that this this is how it's been. And that those clench stories of uh, meeting everybody else's stories of whether you're good or not out there um, is how you survived. And in my work, when we identify the defense patterns that you've been locked into, let's honor and respect them because that's the best way you knew to survive. So in the past, you clenched like crazy like this to survive. And right now, we're going to give you the chance to just feel one breath, to know you're still here. And when you can feel your one breath of what's right here, then we can, then we can find another way, the way that makes sense to you, the way that works for you. As a follow-up, do you find that people are afraid that if they start feeling their feelings that they'll never stop. Once I start crying, I will never stop. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well there's another cultural litany, you know, don't go there, don't go there, then I'll have to feel all the things and I don't know how to do that. It's all right, you know, you can only take one breath at a time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you know, that's the Whew, guess what? When you start landing in here, you're like, wow, I recognize that trigger now, but okay, I'm going to just come back to my breath and leave that be for now. Right? You don't, you don't unravel the whole thing in one session, in one, you know, at one time. It's a breath at a time. And here's the magic of that and the importance of that. As you build your internal interoceptive repertoire, I know I'm breathing. I know I'm here. I move my body differently now. I move in the world differently. And as you land deeper and old triggers emerge, the roots of old triggers in there, um, oh, you meet them differently. As you grow into your embodiment, as you land, you meet your emotional triggers and traumas differently, smoother, more calmly. And your sense of letting go of what you're done with grows from that strength in you. 
Nice landing, nice Josh. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. That's what, that's what this is. That's what, and when you land in there like that, it's like, oh man, at first you were so relieved to be there. I'm still here. How many patients, when I'm done at the table, they look up and they go, I'm still here, you know, and to feel that relief, that's in a place where you don't have words yet. And that's fine. That's fine. Because that's where you grow and find your true narrative of your story of being you from that place. I think the one thing that I was thinking while you were saying that is it seems like you, it would be better to label you as a therapist that focuses on the physical yes. rather than a physical therapist. Cause it seems like you're dealing with a little more than just a, you know, physical therapy. Oh yes. Yes. Like- Thank you. Yes. Okay. I I've been unhirable most of my career because, <laughs> cause I'm not that. Okay. And, and the funny thing, uh, at one point, way back in the early 90s, I was doing, uh, you know, agency work and ended up in a hospital. This was in the Philadelphia area and uh, was helping some lady with a total knee first day getting out of bed. And this is what we did. This is 30 years ago, what we did. Okay, before you move, let's breathe. All right, feel your belly breath. Okay, good. Now let's sit up and breathe again. Beautiful. Now, here's the walker. Let's stand you up. Okay. Now find your breath again. You're here standing up. And at this point, she was a short little thing. She looks at me and she goes, you're not like the others. (laughs) And it was like, right. But feel how you are finding you can be upright breathing and moving and figuring out your new total knee over here in a way that makes sense to you. So yes, I've been outside the, <laughs> the, the, the mechanical limits of that for a long time. And that's, that's okay. That's where I need to be because this is how we live in our bodies. This is our embodiment. You know, it's not about the mechanics. It's not even about the why the wiring. It's about the wisdom of you that's so seeking its expression. Now, Dr. Kathy, I'm to tell you something. I now, at this very moment, trademark the term therapist of the physical nature. If you would like to use it, uh, <laughs> I will give you my email. Yeah, we'll make out. a deal. I'm yeah, sure we can okay. find some kind of deal yeah. that will work out. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I had to take that from you. Um, it just came no out so worries. smooth. It came out so smooth that I had to I got a trademark. Okay. It. Yeah. Intellectual yeah. properties. Oh, wait, considering important. that the book I'm writing <laughs> and that you know, the whole point of the book I'm writing is like feeling your feelings in your body. Feeling is not that's hilarious that you're uh-huh. finally picking up mm-hmm. this. Okay. That's well, there there's the dance, right? There's the dance of it. I love it. This is the Yay. this is the real reason we brought brought you on. We're just trying to squeeze money out. Of <laughs> oh, what's funny is I remember during COVID, I like went on her website and was like, I got rah, 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 click, and it was like, oh, cool, I can see her in thirty minutes, and I and we pop on Zoom, and it was like, I don't have to go to Florida. I can just so I yep. I am everywhere I need to be in the world from right here in my Zoom room. Okay. So cool. Yeah. 
How was that transition? Just briefly, we're about to wrap up, but just briefly transitioning from table work to Zoom work. Well, first of all, there was a bigger transition because, you know, I had clinics all over the country and I was on a plane every other week and I'm a million and a half plus miler flyer on Delta or I used to be. So first was, what do you mean? I live here. What? Excuse me. I live here. Like, and then my husband and I, like, we live together. Are you kidding me? Like what? You know? And then was the, wait, I used to live my authority out on the road in these other clinics and now I need to own it right here. And so part of that, the work had already been preparing itself for that transition because in 2019, it was like, wow, it's not about the little hands-on tricks that, you know, you think I need to teach you. It's about you landing in you, in your process and being present in yourself. So the work was already veering in that direction. And then COVID, like, yay, let's meet on Zoom. Let's figure this out. Let's feel who we are here. And I'll tell you one of the biggest surprises of doing treatment on Zoom is the patient is in their home environment. When have you ever had permission to relax in your home environment? What? Excuse me. Right? And it makes it real for you in a totally different way. You don't have to drive to my office. Oh, it's magical here. Get in your car. Oh, it's not magical where I go. Eh, right? No, no. You're home. Find it there. Awesome. So, Dr. Kathy, what kind of principles or ideas would you want to leave the audience with of ways they can kind of start to practice this at home? I would, I'm sure you're going to say something about belly breath, but maybe some other things you could add on to that. Well, yes, the belly breath is the good start, okay? Um, But I would also start by giving yourself the gift of your own presence. And whether that means sitting quietly in in your quiet corner for five minutes a day, and, you know, if you want to hear my voice doing it, sure, we've got We've got video this for that to help you get landed. But finding that calm place in you in the day and knowing it lets you go back to it and start to repattern where you don't have to be reactive. Okay. You can pause, slide into your breath, and find the best response for you, whatever little thing you're doing out there, whatever's going on out there. Navigate from your truth. And it starts from sitting in the chair, quiet, little breathing, and just, ugh, okay? Let the things unclench, let your coherence, your beautiful coherence start to show you. That's awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, And audience, thanks for joining us and listening to this episode of the Be Freaking Awesome podcast.